Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, where we are dedicated to making you a better tech seller, sharing tried and true sales strategies and answering your questions weekly. Hey, Bobby. What's up, Brian? We are on part two of Deals and Lessons Learned, and it's been a fun one to kind of relive and go back to uh, our old companies that we worked for and some of the lessons that we've learned from deals that we did well, deals that we didn't do well, um, you know, how we learned professionally. Uh, I, you know, I, it's funny because we, we always, I, I, I don't always think about situations that came up 10 years ago, 20 years ago, two years ago, and I cringe. And they, they say that the human is the only animal that can uh, look back at a situation and just still cringe at night. And I, and I think about some of these, these losses with customers or how maybe, maybe how I interacted internally at the company I worked for. And I still cringe. There's a lot of learning opportunities and it's fun to talk these through. No doubt. And, and I think the positive is as, as much as we cringe about those bad things, the positive is really fun to look back on. And I think for those listening, I, I thought, I don't know, years, one, two at Microsoft, so that would have been six, seven, eight in my career, that I I was so far ahead of the world, and every, all the mentors and managers I kept telling me, you know, you, just, you need more experience, and I was like, what do you mean? I'm I'm killing it, and I look back then how young and dumb I really was, you know, I had so many things to learn still, and I think we'll talk about that both this week and next, about all the good and bad of the experiences we learned and how much we grew. It's, it's kind of been interesting to look back on. Yeah. So part one, uh, we talked, I talked about kind of my, uh, entrepreneurial, um, first venture outs and how that led to a phone interview and ultimately a job at soft choice. And for those not familiar, soft choice is what is called, what was called the large account reseller. Um, which basically mean they can source products, millions of products, literally millions of products, um, from warehousing around the world to fulfill needs that businesses have. Um, maybe they need new computers, maybe they need new printers, maybe they need new high-end servers, uh, maybe they need software to download. Um, they basically helped fulfill um, a ton of different products. And really my goal at SoftChoice was to help convince medium and large businesses that they could um, move to SoftChoice for all of their hardware and software needs. So while I had a good appreciation for, you know, what by running my own business, what it meant to, uh, you know, fulfill hardware for, for companies, for small businesses, I had no idea what that really meant at scale. And to your point, you, I learned a lot about services too, right? Because uh, what you talked about in the first one was about, you know, uh, when you're fulfilling servers and laptops and stuff too, you're also you're able to tack on services to configure those those devices uh, for the end customer as well. So it was a huge learning for me. It was a big ramp. Um, and I, I think what was most worrisome right up front was, you know, I, when you run your own business, you kind of get to run at your own pace. And while I ran at a very aggressive pace, um, I was my first two weeks, I'll never forget, I'm hitting the phones in a cubicle in an office in North Dallas that I drove one hour to every single day. I can't even imagine that today. But I drove one hour there, one hour back every day. And it was my job to pound those phones and set up meetings. Yeah. Oh, man. And you said a lot there about that I just flashed back to, 
you know, being able to, from running your own company and being able to make a big decision, and that big decision is like firing a customer or taking on new customers or, or selling a new product line, you know, software, somebody else was making all those decisions, and you were having to depend on a bunch of other people. Um, and today, while uh, I'm going to continue to reflect, our days aren't that different, meaning the things we sell, yeah. the people we interact with, the partners we work with, et cetera. It's very similar. And my dad, a 40-year seller who's been retired for 10 years plus, would say your job in sales is very similar. There's a lot of tech and stuff around it. But, you know, the the customer still has similar needs, and we're still selling similar products. But the teams work together very differently. You know, distribution's handled in a much different way. The products and, and things are put together. I mean, in 2000, when I was my first tech job, we still put drives in servers. We still put memory in servers. We still cabled those servers. I mean, all that work's being done. And we're going to continue to see the evolution of where things are more tied together. And some of the people that do things today won't do those jobs in the future. Uh, install software, or whatever those things might be. But the, the commonality is still going to be there. Someone's going to have to be smart to share with the customer why they should do something. And then there's going to have to be people to tie it all together. And uh, I think the the one talent that will always withstand in tech sales is being able to work well with others to reach common goals that are what the customer needs most. Um, and I think we both did that, and that's what made us successful. So why don't you tell us a little bit about – so you hit the phones for a while. Then then what, Brian? What? What was the next evolution of your time at SoftChoice? Well, it was initially a panic because I thought, man, how am I going to... And I wasn't exactly thinking about it in these exact terms, but I was thinking about it at, at, at a certain level. How am I going to differentiate myself? If, if, if I can only make a certain number of calls per hour, I feel like I'll probably... I felt like I could probably be a bit more aggressive and not aggressive in terms of my approach on the call, but just not waiting until you know, X time in the morning, late in the morning to get started. I, I knew I could, I could differentiate slightly by making more phone calls, but I was still new. My batting, you know, we talk about batting average all the time. My batting average was still probably pretty low because I was still getting, you know, still trying to get good at this. And I'm, I'm naturally an introvert. So, you know, dropping off flyers is far more appealing than hitting the phones for me, for somebody like me. So I would, I would say the, the, what, occurred to me very quickly is that I had to have some sort of unique message. I never felt comfortable calling and just asking for their time, asking for an hour of their time and, and trying to appeal to a story of how great would it be to source all of your software and hardware from one location. So SoftChoice had great messaging. It obviously worked for them. They, grew, they were growing by market share. They're publicly traded in the Toronto Stock Exchange. So this wasn't a company that lacked any sort of messaging or marketing messages. But I, I, it didn't necessarily work for me. And I think that's been the key my entire career is that while there's great nuggets that a lot of these companies can provide to you, and, and nuggets you need to learn and you need to master, you, you also need to uh, come up with your own set of differentiating skills. And that's I think that's the first thing I learned, Bobby, to answer your question, is that I needed to be to build something, really, really good at something, and provide a value service that a customer could and would want to take a meeting to discuss. And so very early on, and I, we talk about like soft choices, their core business again was fulfilling hardware and software for companies. What they also did was provide um, Microsoft enterprise agreements. So for those not familiar, if you sign a deal 
uh, if a customer, what, what Microsoft is ultimately trying to sell or what they were ultimately trying to sell were enterprise agreements for, for companies. And this basically were a structured three-year agreement, if I remember right, that uh, would give companies access to the server technology, to the office productivity technology, to email, to collaboration tools. And you could tack on like hundreds of SKUs to this kind of agreement. And since Microsoft is so big and basically everyone is a customer, this agreement uh, was fulfilled through a reseller network and SoftChoice and CDW and SHI, all these companies fulfilled that, that contract. So I, I figured like what I could, if, and it paid great commission too, by the way, if we could if we could have our names on this contract. So what I figured if I could be an expert on that, if I could if I could know it better than anyone in my local market, that that would be a big differentiation for me and an opportunity for me to set up uh, meetings with customers or prospective customers. Similarly, in my days early on at Vector, I think that's what. I did better than most, and and I, I just I can remember laying in bed late at night, late late two thousand, early two thousand one, reading a pamphlet of papers, and my wife asking me, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I'm reading the one white paper that no one else is reading," and I really hung my hat on that motto for myself and said, "You know, if I keep reading these four page white papers that no one's reading." people are going to want to talk to me. And if people want to talk to me, then I'm going to get to, to sell them something. And I don't even think I knew I was selling them something. And I wanted to be the smartest tech guy. I wanted to be recognized for my technical chops. And I wanted people to call on me for those technical needs. And I, I just saw, I don't know how I saw it. Um, I didn't have a podcast back then to listen to, but I knew that if I kept reading and kept working, that I would leapfrog other technical people. It didn't matter how many years they'd been doing it. I knew the technology was changing, and I knew if I just stayed in front of them by a little bit, I would keep getting smarter. And so you talked about the EA and the enterprise agreement and, and knowing that better. You know, I, I look back in those days and remember pre-Microsoft and at Microsoft, no one even read the contract. I mean, you didn't have to work too terribly hard to be better than most at, at knowing the enterprise agreement because most people weren't even reading it. Customers weren't even reading it. Um, the world was moving so like it does today so fast around everybody they didn't have time to do the really important things and I remember just reading and wanting to be a little bit better than most uh, and it worked out very well for my career yeah and actually we've got a whole episode on on being an expert and that's a good one to go back and revisit for those of you that are early or mid-stage in your career and you just want a little bit of a refresh and and yeah that was my that was my approach too Bobby is I I read the the entire contract it's almost like I think back to those clickbait articles uh, today. That's it's like uh, you won't believe what what food scientists don't want you to eat, kind of thing. And, oh, yeah. and that was it was very similar to my approach in a way, in a non corny way. It would be don't you? Yeah, I would, the way I would approach prospects would be because I became an expert in that contract. I became an expert in what the offering included. Um, and I and I it was it was small things right and I would use though that as kind of bait to set up the meeting and for me that was far easier to arrange a meeting than just begging for an hour of their time it was like hey they released a new offering don't you want to see how that impacts your enterprise agreements like, well and very similarly I used to say all the time I would I would see that someone merged or, or divested part of their company and I would send them the fine print that no one really was volunteering that if you had a a divestiture or a acquisition of more than 10% of your business, 
that Microsoft would consider rewriting your enterprise agreement. I mean, what what an opportunity to have a customer hear you out and do that with a partner like SoftChoice. And we're getting a little ahead of my Microsoft days, but you know, there there wasn't it wasn't very hard to find a hook. And yeah. as much complaining as I hear in the, in the IT sales world today about how hard it is to get in front of a customer, it's not that hard. It's just not easy, and you you got to work for it like we did back in those days as well. And so, I, I, talking about uh, frustrating losses or lear- learning opportunities, I, I think one of the earliest ones I had was we had a customer proactively reach out to us, or maybe I reached them and then they forwarded on it. It wasn't really even necessarily a very structured RFP, but they were going to make a large purchase from Microsoft and they were seeking bids. And um, so they, they sent me a list of products they wanted to buy and I got that list and um, I, I was new to the role. I basically um, spent all of 20 minutes gathering all the quotes together they were in like 16 different PDFs, literally in 16 different PDFs, the different like versions they wanted to see of the same kind of purchase. Uh, they were kind of trying to explore at the time, they were trying to explore, was it worth buying software assurance or not buying software assurance? And, and what I did is I collected all those quotes, all those requests that they asked for. I packaged them up into a single email and I forwarded them straight on to the, to the prospect. I requested some time, but it was pretty passive, right? And I, I'm, I look back and like that was probably, well, it, not probably, it was 15 years ago. And I'm still, I still cringe when I think about them receiving that email from me with 16 attachments. And like, what well, the hell are they supposed to do with that? You won the deal, right? <laughs> I didn't even get an email back. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, I've seen, I've, I've made the mistake and I've seen people make that mistake. They're like, they got exactly what they asked for. Why? Yeah. What's the holdup? They asked for quotes, and and they did ask for quotes, but it's the same same exact example of me calling and asking the cable company for pricing on the uh, another package that I might want to add or something. Right? I, I know no one adds cable anymore, but the it, it's it's not. I'm looking for a better deal. I'm looking for a better price. I'm looking for the value of software assurance. Which those that are listening that don't know, that's maintenance software maintenance from Microsoft. You know, boy, would you send the same thing today, Brian? What would you do different, I guess, uh, today? And, and you're a pro seller, so let's say you're three years ahead of where you were then. What would you have done differently if that customer asked for those quotes? Uh, what I began to do, and this became a big differentiation, this led to kind of how I ended up at Microsoft, is what I what I began to do was... Um, frame things out in Excel for the prospect. So again, you and I kind of have a bit of a technical background, but I think what I was doing wasn't too terribly technical. But what I did is frame it up in Excel form, and I built the analysis out for them going forward, um, it, which became kind of uh, the, the Brian and Jonathan show at, at the Microsoft days. Like that, that's ultimately that kind of analysis is what I ended up somewhat getting known for. Um, instead of those 16 quotes, it literally was 16 quotes, I'll never forget. Because it was like, you know, options with software assurance, without software assurance, certain terms, certain product sets. I would have framed it up in Excel in a, in a one-page document that they could, that we could review together, basically. Instead of, of course, just forwarding on a, an Excel spreadsheet that would get ignored. And let's just assume they wouldn't take a meeting because you would have asked for that meeting. Like, let's review this together. And when you email that over, um, 
I would assume you wouldn't have sent the quotes. You would have sent the summary. The summary would have been aggressive, but not your final offer. And they know that customers still know that today. Mm-hmm. Um, but you would have, you would have been trying to tempt them with the taste of pros and cons and the value that you're going to bring to the process, right? You're not, you're not sending them the best price. You're sending them a playbook that is better than everybody else's playbook. You know, if they sent that to, and and the reason you didn't get an email is because someone better than you sent them a better playbook and showed them they were going to be more value and valuable in that sales process than Brian Evans and soft choice. Um, and I think that's the key learning from that, that phase of our career was we were doing a lot of what customers wanted. We were willing to work harder than most. We were willing to work harder than everybody, but we, we really weren't presenting the data and the details and the value to the customer in a light that told them bet on me, bet on my company because we're going to get you over the finish line and the price might be more, but it's going right. to be worth it to, to jump on this this thing and ride with me, right? Yeah, I mean, I what I ulti- what I what ultimately started happening is I, I became a teammate of these folks. These, you know, sometimes they were purchasing people, sometimes they were IT leaders and a director type role, but I became kind of an extension of their team in a way um, because I, I I didn't have the typical sales personality. I think I think they liked that a little bit. And, and I was willing to put in the hard work and do the analysis. And that led to what was called a change of channel partner at the time. Maybe it's still called that. But it was effectively taking market share from other resellers. So I would, I, 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 after, you know, they say winning is infectious and confidence, uh, you know, breeds more wins. And that was certainly the case for me in the, in the early days there at Soft Choices. I would, um, I would kind of use that analysis. I would use things like the enterprise cow. I know we've talked about that on previous episodes and how... It was kind of the center point of our, of our Microsoft days, that kind of offering from Microsoft. And, and I became kind of an expert in what that extended um, offering was for Microsoft. And I used that as an opportunity to go in and take market share from my competitors, but also to sell more for Microsoft, who was the partner that I really liked working with. And I had sold a couple of enterprise cows in, for, for very large companies. And I remember, I'll, I'll never forget meeting in the in the Microsoft office there and um, you know, the Microsoft folks saying, all right, we need to sell more e-cals. They were talking to us as resellers. And um, I pulled them aside, the manager at the time aside, and said, I've, I've actually, I've sold a couple of these uh, these already. And he kind of questioned that, like, are you sure you've sold that? And I told him it was in the large enterprise space and he was in medium enterprise. And that led to, to interviews and that ultimately landed to my, my job at Microsoft. It was because I was an expert in that one thing. So if you're... If you're working for a you know a reseller or a service partner, and and you're looking to get to that vendor, and it's not right for everybody. Some people don't like selling the wares for uh, for another company. They prefer doing the implementations. They prefer doing the training. They prefer having a diverse set of of SKUs or products that they're selling. But if you're looking to make them move to that vendor, be recognized by them as the expert, and it, the rest will take care of itself. Similarly, that's how I got to Microsoft. But before that, I'll say, uh, at the company I worked at, Vector, it was my soft choice. It was my first real gig in tech, right? I I think I started working with partners way back then, and I engaged Microsoft. I read about their partnership agreement. I read about how we could engage better with them. You know, we were wrapped around the axle with a company called Citrix, and all we did was Citrix and Citrix-connected stuff. And we had a, a... 
a strategy as a bigger company that said we're too committed to Citrix. If Citrix has a problem or Citrix goes out of business, the whole company that we are part of is in trouble as well. We're in just as much trouble. So we started branching out, and I think those those things started opening my eyes to just how many opportunities there were outside of, of Citrix. Uh, obviously, it ran on top of Microsoft Technologies mm-hmm. and got to know that team. And I got to doing what they asked me to do. I wasn't their slave. I was their partner, and I saw it as such. And they weren't having partners react the way I was reacting. Like, I was all in doing whatever they needed me to do. They said, tell us when you're going to meet a customer. I told them when I was going to meet a customer. And, you know, I think everybody's afraid they're going to get screwed or stabbed in the back. But I just, I made it work. And we had candid conversations. And those led to wins and losses and good and bad for both of us. But I think they saw me as that person that was a really good partner and then coincidentally, I kept reading, reading white papers and kept learning their technologies like I already knew Citrix and kept getting smarter. So I was accomplishing my personal goals, but I was accomplishing their goals. And one thing led to another where I was at a worldwide partner conference and saw someone leave the team, got promoted, moved on to something else and was able to fit myself into the conversations around that role. Um, but it was a very different role. And, and I think you you moved into a similar role, salesperson type role. I moved into a similar services test, like solution specialist role. But I think we both saw the 45,000 jobs in the United States yeah. back in those days and said, I can have any of these that I want if I keep executing and doing what I'm doing today. How do I do what these other people around me are doing and do it a little bit better? And, and it was just like putting lighter fluid on a, already burning fire and uh, the amount of resources I had just took took off like mad uh, for sure once I got to Microsoft I think it's worth jumping back to something that you said the and we just did a whole series on on partnering and, and getting good at partnering and the trust there but I think that is I think if what people may not pick up on that they should pick up on is that um, trust has been a big thing with you uh, when it comes to partnering and it's one thing to kind of say it. It's another thing to do it and to believe in it and to trust it. And I think what that leads to, and I'm not as good at that. Um, I'm better at it now, but I wasn't, I certainly wasn't as good at it early days in the career. I, what it leads to oftentimes is that w- when they see that level of partnership and that commitment and that exposure that you, you kind of, you kind of exposed yourself in a way, right? Sure. Trusting that they're going to do the right thing. And some people won't do the right thing. Hopefully they've vetted out and kind of cut those people loose or fired those people that that would take advantage of a situation like that. You, but if you kind of if you kind of trust the character of the folks that you're working with by completely exposing yourself in a way, it it causes them to it disarms them in a unique way, I think. And it whether the deal that you invited them out to or the customer or prospect that you were meeting with if that didn't work out, if they knew that Bobby Doss was all in, they wanted to make it work with you because they knew they had an ally. And so maybe it was the next inbound lead that they got that they maybe passed your way or something. But I, I, I guess that that's the feedback here is that um, while it's uncomfortable sometimes to, to expose your hard work, um, sometimes it can lead to really unintended consequences as well. Uh, and I'll just say there, you, you said do the right thing. You're hoping that they do the right thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, yes, of course, that's the, 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 the ploy or the partnership game is that both of you do the right thing and you help each other win. But 
I mean, they're going to get an opportunity to talk to that customer. I think that's what has frustrated me for the last decade of my career is mm-hmm. people act like no one else is talking to that customer, that they own that customer. You know, sure. a, a Dell EMC rep is like, well, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to a partner. This is my deal. Mm, no, it's Michael Dell's deal at best, right? <laughs> right, um, right? But it's not your deal. And do you think that we have one meeting every other week and this customer does nothing else in those other, what is 79 hours that they're on the clock for that, that company? I mean, they're meeting with every other storage company, every other laptop company. And it's just... It's, That's their biggest fear. <laughs> okay, well, And they are. They have to be. They're what right, else are they right. doing? So why not get the best group together and do yeah. what we were talking about earlier, right? Really putting together the best value proposition, the best story, the best summary with the collective team, and, and that's why we just did the Better Together series, and that's why I've always believed in the Better Together. Um, it obviously has helped me in my career and helped me do a lot of things that I don't think would have happened had I had I been at, been at that level of trust with everybody around me. Let's talk about Tech Sales Lab. We've 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 been um, working with them now for the last couple of months. Tech Sales Lab is the only place with people and a platform to really help you achieve your entry into sales or take you from where you're at today in sales and make you a master of many things within sales. Um, Brian, how do you talk to techs, to people about Tech Sales Lab? Yeah, so as you, as you mentioned, there's kind of two paths. There is, uh, first, if you have a friend or, or colleague that, that wants to get into sales, they, they, they wonder, like, what is it that you do every day? How would you get into this? Is there like a degree I need to do for it? The answer is no. There's not necessarily a degree for this. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a degree for it. So Tech Sales Lab offers um, Pathway, which is effectively an entry in. It's a, it's a uh, structured program to help you get into Tech Sales. And then the master programs is all about upping your game. So if you're a professional seller today and you want to know how to read a 10K, to deliver better outcomes for your prospects. There are classes there. If you want to be a first-time manager or are a first-time manager, you can take the uh, course on uh, on tech sales management. Uh, it's done by our friend Phil Wilhelm. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, so check it out. It's techsaleslab.com. Reach out to us if you have any questions. Perfect. So let's talk a little bit about once I joined Microsoft. Um, I was in a role back in those days called a business productivity advisor. My my only job was in 2000, late 2004, was to share with customers the value of a product called Office Professional 2003. Um, things have died out of that platform, a thing called InfoPath and many other things. But, man, in those days, people, the, 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 the Internet was still fairly new, connected, working on documents together was not a common thing. And people didn't understand it. And we were really trying to convince customers the value of upgrading. I mean, the typewriter had died two decades earlier, but word processing really wasn't where it is at today. Um, and I, I kept trying to run the same playbook everybody else was running and, and running into brick walls, meaning I just wasn't making the progression that I wanted to with my sales. And... I did what I've done many times, and we'll go back to partnering. I started figuring out what partners were asking for in the field, and I just came from a partner. And here I am. I'm sitting with the blue badge from Microsoft on, and I just started to go and spend time with partners and yeah. found that they wanted to be connected with Microsoft. And the way that we did that, and a guy named Brad Rosen out of Ohio was kind of my mentor back in those days. Brad, I don't think you're listening, but if you are, thanks for everything you ever did for me. And 
he told me, look, you got a credit card. Go buy lunch for 20 people and tell them the value of office. And I did it. And I didn't just do it once. I did it like four times a week. Uh, I probably gained 100 pounds. But, you know, I, I went from – I literally went from El Paso to New Orleans and back to El Paso and back to Houston on a campaign trail and – was my job was to scale that story and and I scaled it with really dozens of great partners and uh, another dozen or so other ancillary partners and I'll never forget I I tied my horse to New Horizons and then a bunch of systems integrators in those days from Sparkhound who I ended up being a partner and owner of to to partners I don't even remember their names today but I know uh, I know I drove by buildings all the time that, that they used to be in and we just talked about the value of office and the value about our partnership and customers came and it was it was powerful and we sold tons of office because of it and i won tons of awards because of it but it was it was nothing really different it was just i didn't do it alone and when i see people working alone today and think man they're never going to get to where they need to get uh, I, I i just giggle because they're they're killing themselves they're where we were i think brian back in those early days where we were willing to work harder yep and through experience, we started getting a little smarter and a little smarter. And today, in mentor conversations, we've had some recently together uh, with some people. It's the same thing. It's like this isn't you doing the work; it's the collective whole. And I think that's what made my career at Microsoft take off early on uh, was those partnerships. And I'll give you a, ca- a chance to kind of follow up on that. But then I want to tell the story of my big win with a, a few partners that. Um, again after the first year and a half launched me into uh, quote-unquote stardom at microsoft from a standpoint of a sales rep yeah yeah i think of i think of the microsoft time in kind of three buckets i think of one uh nail the job or do the job really really extraordinarily well the second piece is to then as you as you find repeatable patterns and things that work document that and share that goodness out with folks and and that I think you did that really well at Microsoft, uh, which hopefully that's what about what you're about to speak to. And then the third piece is that led to leadership roles and learning opportunities and exposure at Microsoft. If I kind of put it into to three big categories, uh, so for for me it was very similar. It was um, I, I I laugh because a lot of people they want to focus so hard on working smarter that they never work hard. Uh, it's something that you and I have always joked about. Mm-hmm. My brother and I have always joked about is why don't we work smarter and harder? How about that? Yeah. Um, and so what Jonathan and I did was effectively a, a roadshow, and we we did get everybody on board. And we had our partner net, network together, and we we effectively did a roadshow to where Jonathan would do all the demonstrations for us. Jonathan's still a great friend of ours. He would do all the demos. I would do all the analysis. It was basically what I was still doing. What I did at the reseller. You know, when you when you have that Microsoft email address and uh, that Microsoft title, it was a thousand more easier to get, a thousand times easier to get meetings with uh, with prospects. And we went from company to company to company, just super efficient, bringing the resellers along, showing them the analysis that was so personal to me in my days at SoftChoice, uh, and then just helping to rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And we signed hundreds of enterprise agreements over those over those years. Um, and then that, that kind of analysis and that approach, while it, it became kind of you know well used, and it was something that I would see pop up everywhere. 
really similar to kind of how I approach uh, as, as an account executive, how I approached prospecting and stuff, the same spreadsheet that we've shared with all the listeners that, that, that analysis kind of went viral in a way and it, it helped, it, it turned into kind of a best practice that I became kind of known for at Microsoft there and, and helping customers see that kind of long-term value and in investing in the platform. And I have to reflect on it, you know, and all that story you just told, you, you might have said I like three times and we or us or the group or the partners. You said that a hundred times, right? I, 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 I want to reiterate it was never alone. Our success never came alone. And if you if you are trying to do it alone, you're probably, you probably need to get some help from somebody to help you see the bigger picture and how you're going to do it together with other people. Uh Man, it's fun to relive those days. Those were the glory days. Uh, and at the same time, I wouldn't go back uh, to those days for anything because I'm, I'm much happier where I'm at today, you know, both both in mind and soul, but also with, with not having to go relearn all those things over again. My big win that I'm going to talk about is a combination of all those things. I, I had I'd only been at Microsoft for about a year, and then we ended up playing – golf with a customer i guess it was i think it was actually a soft choice golf tournament believe it or not and i had been working with uh, the newly appointed branch manager at the time was a, a lady named natalie sims who's been a lifelong friend of mine and um she had brought some customers out and she had included me because of all those early partnership things i had been doing and ended up playing golf with a customer that uh was on a Novell Novell suite of solutions back in those days. It was email. It was collaboration. It was a lot of what Microsoft does. And if you're if you're new to IT, you have no idea who Novell is, but they are still around. And uh, the customer needed better email. They were growing fast, and they were a tough customer to deal with. But we we worked together. And long story short, we just spent time and answered the customers' questions over and over. And we kept helping and providing them value both as the reseller and as the, the vendor. And I never cut her out. She never went to meetings without me. I was thinking of what she needed, meaning I knew she wanted to sell laptops with windows on it. I knew she wanted to sell other things that, that we couldn't sell. And I always kept putting that stuff in my proposals and my packaging. And um, that's why she never went to a meeting without me because she knew that I was fully bought in and she was teaching new young reps how to sell with partners in Microsoft and the customer just got everything they ever wanted and, and then some, right? And I think it was it was a total wipeout of the competition that got back in those days. That was a big deal to, to find new market share and to turn a thousand employee company from a Novell customer to a Microsoft customer literally got me on banners in the cafeteria uh, in Redmond at Microsoft uh, showing off my my chops and my competitive win story. And it just went viral when there, when viral wasn't even a thing, right? I just think right. people ended up learning and calling me. How did you do it? There were still hundreds of thousands of Nobel customers. Um, and I got to meet people all around the world and tell that story and talk about the win and talk about partnering. And uh, obviously got my name out there, but it was nothing different than what we're saying today. And if you don't believe us, uh, you're going to miss the opportunity to big, win a big deal like that because – it doesn't take anything more than partnership, hard work, and being smarter than most. And this will, this luck will repeat itself over and over and over again. I think, and so you're, Bob, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to share that picture on the show notes. Yeah, I if will. You still got it. Yeah, and oh, you got it in your office. Do I actually. still got it? Brian. <laughs> Brian's watching me on Skype right now, and uh, 
I'm showing him the uh, animated version of me dumping a big bucket of water on Bill Vecti. Um, was a big day in my career when I got to go to Redmond to make a poster. But to see that poster all over the United States was was even a cooler thing for me. So we talked about the first bucket was like nailing your day job, partnering to nail your day job. And the second part we'll pick up in the next episode, and that's really what what this led for us. So having so we kind of nailed the day job. We we were learning best practices. We were sharing best practices. And then with all that came a lot of goodness, like with things like with executive presence and our ability to communicate upwards and to and what ultimately led to management roles uh, for, for us both. Uh, and then led to entrepreneurial roles, roles for us both. So uh, we're going to end that here today. And then uh, next week we'll jump into it a little bit deeper in terms into what professionally that meant for us in our career and where we went from there. All right. As always, average is the enemy. Average sucks. Please don't be average. Thanks for listening to the Texel Show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Texel Show. Subscribe to our email list at www.texelshow.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Texel Show. Until next week, average is the enemy.